Welcome to your province, your premier. Heard on QR Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Chad. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. If you have a question, a concern, something on your mind for the premier, you can phone or text. But please, a big reminder to keep those questions or texts as short as possible. All right, Premier Smith ready and waiting to hear from you today. Premier Smith, welcome to the show, our last show of 2023. It sure is. Boy, it's been quite a year. Nice to see you again, Wayne. Yes, you too. Now, looking back on the year, and I think for most people, it'd be a bit of a challenge to name each and every issue, unless there's some kind of journal to reference. Uh, You know, I think when we reflect on the past, we remember those issues that are near and dear to each of us, those bigger issues that a majority of people can identify. And of course, like anything, the more recent the more clear our recollection. Uh, recollection. Now, I don't think I missed the mark in saying that for most Albertans, health care, the Alberta pension plan discussions, and the economy would be the top three issues of this past year and will still be the top three issues as we move into 2024. So before we get to the phone and text lines, let's briefly talk about those issues and where we stand. Healthcare. Recent controversy following publication of a report that the Alberta government removed government references from COVID and flu vaccination ads. The big question, why? I don't think that there is a single person in Alberta or Canada that doesn't know that we are in respiratory virus season. I don't think there's a single person in Alberta that doesn't know that you can go to a pharmacy and get a vaccine. And we also now know that it's not just one virus that's a problem. It's multiple viruses. Right now we've got uh, people hospitalized and in ICU for COVID and influenza and RSV. And we'll probably end up with more viruses that end up uh, creating problems for us. We need to make sure it's a consistent message. Go to your doctor, find out what vaccines you need, get the ones that are right for you, They are all available. We are doing a $550,000 ad campaign to let people know again that immunization is available. In the past, I mean, I know the NDP is making a lot of hay out of this, but they only used to, they used to spend less than $100,000 a year on these campaigns. We increased it when we got into, when when my predecessor got into government, doubled it. And then uh, last year was about the same amount. So there is... uh, Uh, every effort to make sure people understand it's respiratory virus season, vaccines are available, talk to your doctor, go to your pharmacy, and uh, make sure you're protected. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one, uh, Premier Smith. I don't think I need to be told that that the vaccine is good just because it has the Alberta government stamp of approval. It's like, hey, vaccinations, this is the time of year, go out and do it. Now, still... Flu cases are at a 14-year high, though. Still straining our our hospital uh, system. Uh, We've got the feds have ponied up with some more health care dollars. And you've got the uh, nurse practitioner uh, plan as part of your overall reorganization. So where do we stand on all three of those things? The first, the flu cases. Well, the good news is that we we seem to have peaked in the pressure on ICU and we're on the way down. So we now have 201 people in ICU beds and we've got 240 available. So that gives us the ability to manage any surge that might happen over the, the next couple of weeks. And we uh, we also have um, available beds. They've been adding acute care capacity. We also have available beds as well. I think we're at 87% capacity. So uh, we have to be prepared for the fact that in respiratory virus season, there's always a surge. And we're putting the, uh, we're, we're, we're utilizing our front lines to come up with creative ways to make sure that they can manage that surge. And, and they've risen to the occasion, quite frankly. So I'm, I'm very pleased to, to see the work that our frontline workers are doing. When it comes to the, the next stage, 
What, I, what we discovered over the last year in our first reforms in Alberta Health Services is that all roads were leading to an acute care bed in a hospital, whether it was a mental health issue, an addiction issue, homelessness, whether it's those who uh, are waiting placement in long-term care uh, using acute care beds, um, whether it's somebody who doesn't have a family doctor or nurse practitioner. Like these are these are the reasons we've got pressure on our, our emergency rooms. And we need to find different ways for people to access the system. Number one is every single person in Alberta should have access to a family practitioner, whether that's a doctor or a nurse practitioner. It's why we announced that nurse practitioners will be allowed to set up their own practices and i am i'm hoping that as we start developing some metrics around this that uh, by the time we get into the next election i won't be hearing anyone say i don't have a family doctor getting back to the vaccination issue uh only about 22 percent of albertans have been immunized against the flu mm -hmm. lowest rate in a decade does that lack of government stamp of approval on the vaccination is there a correlation? No. I mean, when I look at what is happening in the in the rest of the country, vaccine rates are lower in uh, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Ontario. And I don't hear anyone blaming the government for that. So I, I think people need to understand that that, mo there is, that most people can, can make their own judgments on their own level of risk. And uh, I think that we got away from that concept in the last few years. We, we want to make sure everyone knows that there is enough vaccine available for anyone who wants that. And they've got to talk to their family practitioner or go to the pharmacist and, and get some medical advice. I'm, I'm a politician. I'm not going to give medical advice. It's my job to make sure people know it's available. So those right. who want it, they can get it. Okay. Alberta Pension Plan, we've talked about this, and I guess we're still waiting to hear back from the federal actuary. So I'll, I'll just leave that issue for today. Economic matters. We have the gasoline tax holiday comes to an end January 1st. Uh, some real concern. Uh, possible costly delay in completion of the much maligned Trans Mountain Pipeline. And you were back from COP28. So let's kind of wrap those three, uh, if we can, into uh, some kind of a single question. <laughs> let, me, let me just try to, um, to pave the way for a longer-term discussion that we have to have with Albertans. I know that we're running a $5.5 billion surplus this year, and that's because of the surge in oil and gas revenues. And I think we've all, we're all very grateful that that, allows it to, uh, the, the, that industry allows us to subsidize services to individuals. Um, and we're, we're living off $14 billion worth of resource revenue for just to keep the lights on, to fund our operations. I, I have heard for years people wanting to get off the, the royalty revenue roller coaster, and instead we're, we're becoming more and more reliant on it at a time when the federal government is trying to shut our industry down. So I feel like we need to have the conversation that we can't spend every single dollar of resource revenue that comes in. A portion has to go to pay down debt. A portion has to go into savings. And a portion has to go to fund operations. And we started that last year with a billion dollar, a $2 billion contribution to the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. We're keeping the uh, investment income in the fund. And if we can just hold on to doing that, by, by 2050, we'll have somewhere in the order of 150 to $200 billion in that fund. And we'll be able to then wean ourselves off our reliance on resource revenue. That's the vision that I want Albertans to, to come on board with. But we can't get there if we keep on cannibalizing our long-term revenue sources. And so the fuel tax was designed, the rebate program was designed this way. When gas prices are low at the pump, the tax comes on. When gas prices are high at the pump, the tax comes off. And so when you get over $90, cent, $90 on WTI again, 
you won't be paying Alberta fuel tax. It's now below $80. That's when the tax started starts to come back on. And we're facing it in $0.09 cents in January. If prices spike again, we won't add that additional $0.04. Cents. But that's that's how we're, we're going to give that money back to Albertans, is that we know that when we're doing well because oil prices are high, they'll get a reprieve. But when the uh, natural reduction in gas prices at the pump allow for those those taxes to come back on, we'll co- have them come back on. Because there was always a tie in our province between the amount of fuel tax coming in and the amount of money we can spend on roads. We have huge amount of transportation infrastructure projects that we need to do. We have, I think, 161 requests from our municipalities. So we, we have to make sure that we've got the dollars there so that as we're growing, we're keeping up with managing those growth pressures. So no one likes to pay taxes. I get that but I, i'm hoping that people understand that we, we've we've, we've got to be balancing those three three things we've got to balance the budget pay down debt put money into savings and then also fund key priorities as we grow all right we'll come back uh in a moment i want to get to the phones we'll take one quick call before we go to a break uh chris is calling in from edmonton go ahead chris uh hi premier smith thank you for taking my call uh, on Thursday, as well as you t- today, you have said that you don't think you have a responsibility to encourage people to get vaccinated, saying, I think it's a private medical decision, and I don't think people need medical advice from a, do- a politician. Uh, Ms. Smith, you're the premier of Alberta. You're supposed to take a leadership stance on public health. And this is a matter of public health. You know this because Dr. Parks, during the same press conference, made it very clear that kids are getting encephalitis and people are getting hurt because of our low vaccination rate. Uh, you understand the value of taking leadership on this. That's why you take leadership on the economy and wildfires. You don't say you're not a firefighter and you're not an economist. So my question for you is this. Please take leadership on this issue. Will you say whether COVID vaccines are effective and will you encourage Albertans to get it, yes or no? Chris, we're doing a $514,890.78 advertising campaign so that everybody knows that immunization and vaccination is available at the pharmacy. If you're worried about RSV, there's a vaccine available. If you're worried about COVID, there's a vaccine available. If you're worried about influenza, there's a vaccine available. If your doctor is recommending all three, take your doctor's advice. That's uh, you know that's the best I can do for you, Chris. Thanks very much for your call. All right, we're going to take a break. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province, Your Premier. Heard Saturday mornings for listeners throughout Alberta. In Edmonton on 630 Ched here in Calgary on QR Calgary. Uh, We are going to be taking a break for the uh, holiday season and we'll be back January 6th. But right now, you can talk to Premier Danielle Smith. We're going to go to the phones and uh, Chris is calling in from Edmonton. Uh, Go ahead, Chris. You have a natural gas or power question. Yeah, actually, thanks, Wayne, for taking my call and um, Madam Premier. Firstly, I just want to make a couple of remarks to Madam Premier. I want to thank you for the $200 million uh, that was announced for the doctors to stabilize their practices. And I... um, I would just ask, please roll it out as soon as you can. <laughs> you know, and, and it's one of those examples of where we in the federal government can be aligned and work together. So we signed the healthcare deal last year and they wanted to work on four key areas, one of them being primary care. So we were able to ink that deal and we will get it out right away. A hundred million next year and then a hundred million the following year. And if yeah, you saw what Dr. That. Paul Park said, he said it'll be transformational. So it's it's real money going to doctors to shore up the practices so they can continue to serve patients and expand their practices. And I can't wait to see where we're at in, in a couple and of years' I, time. I want to thank you for that. Secondly, um, would you please explain to Albertans in Ralph Klein, 
kind of language and demonstrations like what he used to do uh what is meant by a structural deficit so albertans understand that that we are in a structural deficit and we can't be spending all of our uh royalty revenue uh on on uh, everything that people want you know uh, if people, if Albertans really understood what was meant by a structural deficit, then I think they would get it. So well, that's my comment. On let that. me let me try to look. We know Stephen Guibault is trying to shut our oil and gas industry down. So right. let's say he's successful, and we have no oil and gas revenues tomorrow. It means we're short $14 billion in being able to pay for health care and education and roads and everything people care about. That's what a structural deficit is. We've been, we've been yeah, living no, off I, those resource I revenues. I understand it. I just don't think Albertans understand how serious our situation is without oil and gas. Oh, it's and, so, yeah, and, correct. And so my final comment and, and kind of a question would be, so natural gas and oil is owned by Albertans and we, you know, we had the coal generated power plants that were converted to natural gas at a huge cost to Albertans. And then we've had the power producers engaging in this market manipulation, which has had, um, you know, enormous uh, cost to Albertans. And I, I would suggest the oversight is not sufficient in this power uh, production uh, game. Uh, so um, would you please consider having the government create its own crown corporation to take over the generation and sale of power and uh, the sale of natural gas to consumers so Albertans don't get gouged and we can get control of what we pay to Ottawa in terms of carbon tax? Anyway, that's my question. Thanks for your comment. I, I know, I mean, we did announce that, actually, um, when, when I put forward our first motion for the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. That's what we were signaling to the market, is that if the market is not going to produce the long-term baseload power that we need, we will establish a, a crown corporation and, and we will do it. So I still want to work with our private sector operators to see if we can uh, get the market discipline that you're talking about, get more power on stream. Because it's as you bring more power on stream, it reduces prices. And I think we'll see a dramatic example of that next year. We've got three projects finally coming on stream, 2,700 megawatts of natural gas power. And we're looking at it driving the um, regulated rate option down from 32 cents a kilowatt hour, down below 10 cents a kilowatt hour. That's a measure of how important it is to add baseload power that you can rely on. So you bet. We're, uh, we're, we're just not going to, um, to tolerate prices spiking up that high again. So my, I met with my electricity minister this past week. He has a whole series of reforms that he's going to roll out to be able to address this in the long term so that we can provide that kind of price stability. And, and you're quite right. I mean, as uh, this is a natural gas basin. We are the owners of the resource. We should have the ability to provide price stability, not only for natural gas-fired electricity, but also natural gas for other purposes. So um, d don't be surprised if you see us moving in this direction, that if we've got to de-risk investments because the federal government is creating so much uncertainty, if we've got to exert our ownership because the federal government doesn't acknowledge it, then, then we will do it through those kind of mechanisms. Okay, to the text lines. Cranky Pants has texted in saying, Good morning. We all know the flu shot is only designed for certain viruses. Sometimes they get it totally wrong. Trust me, I was in the healthcare system. Flu and virus happens every year. Nothing new. 
Uh, other text message uh, calls in. Uh, Darren, uh, this is on the uh, QR line, says, with Albertans being told to discuss things with their doctor, what do Albertans without a doctor do? Go to a pharmacist. I mean, this is the thing that we're doing is that we're giving multiple points of entry into the system. Every single pharmacist um, has the ability to, to do uh, vaccination. Many pharmacists have a level of training that allow them to e even write prescription and, and administer drugs. We're going to be adding to that with nurse practitioners. So there's, if you're, uh, you can go to alberta.ca uh, to, to, uh, Alberta and go to our health page and get more information. There's, um, look, people need to, to talk to somebody who's a medical professional and make the decision that is right for them. And we are making sure that we are doing a robust advertising campaign so that everybody knows that immunization is available to them. I should just mention that when the NDP, who seems to like to criticize a lot, when they had the opportunity to be, uh, to be advertising, their advertisement that they did on immunization in the 2018-2019 season was $99,000. I don't even know how, how you could get the word out with only $99,000. We are doing $515,000 worth of advertising. Everybody should know. If they, haven't, if they didn't know before, go to a pharmacy, talk to your family doctor, Go online to alberta.ca. The information is there for you. All right. Uh, on the Ched line, uh, quick texture, and this has to do with pharmacies. Uh, why can pharmacies no longer renew prescriptions for longer than one week? Why was this change recently made and not announced? That's a good question. I'll make a note of that because that is moving in the opposite direction of what we want to do. We, we, we want our pharmacists to be able to uh, deliver more of that convenient frontline care, especially since they've, they've got uh, the, those that have a higher level of training. So I'll make a note um, for our health minister, Adriana Grange to look into that. That's news to me. Okay, back to the phone lines. And, uh, ooh, boy, lots of callers have been hanging on for a while here. Uh, Paul, we're going to go to Paul, a surface rights question. Go ahead, Paul. You're on with Premier Smith. Thank you for taking my call. I guess you might say I'm a frustrated landowner who has energy activity on our land, and we're just frustrated that... Some of these companies can reduce compensation without our consent, and and I'm saying the Alberta government doesn't seem to be doing much about it. So, and also uh, with regard to the, the Section 36 applications to the Service Rights Board, it seems like the Service Rights Board has been giving landowners trouble trying to get their applications dealt with. So. Just wonder if you can answer those questions. Thanks, Paul. I, I I have been asking the question about whether bringing these two tribunals together, because we used to have a, a land compensation board that dealt with expropriation mostly by municipalities, and a surface rights board that dealt with the issues that you're talking about, the landowner, uh, the, the the energy company access and the surface rights payments they have to make. Most people tell me that it's, it's working reasonably well, but there's obviously room for improvement. This falls under my Minister of Municipal Affairs, Rick McIver, and one of the things that, that we we wanted to do was to have more um, more consequences for energy companies that are, are behaving in a way that um, that that uh, that isn't living up to their obligations. So the first step was saying no well site transfers unless you've paid your municipal property tax. The next stage that we've been looking into is saying no well site transfers unless you're fully up to date on your landowner lease payments as well. It's a little more complicated for us to figure out a pathway for that, but we, we know we have to do more to protect landowners. The other part is that we, we have to have an efficient process for our 
uh, for companies, if they have a, a well site that is no longer producing, but we don't have a pathway that, to give them a final reclamation certificate, then they're not earning revenue off it, but they still have a whole pile of expenses. So we're working through a process to help them get reclamation certificates so that land can be turned back over to the landowner in as good a condition as they found it. And that's that's got to be the third step on this as well. Okay, we're going to switch gears. Jay has uh, texted in on the uh, Ched line. Can the province do something more to support those with student loans? The feds removed interest rates. Can Alberta do the same? We we did create a couple of things. We we reduced the amount that uh, that universities can charge in, in year over year increase for tuition, so they can only increase it by two percent per year. So that should reduce the amount that students need to take out for in loans in the first place. And we also um, regulate the the rate that can be charged um, on uh, on on student loans. I believe it's uh, just one percent above above prime. And then we also have a longer reprieve period. We used to have uh, student loans have to be paid back within six months. We stretched that out to a year. Um, if there's some, um, well, I can get my my uh, new advance by education minister uh, Rajan Sani to do um, a consultation to see if we we need to give a, a longer reprieve on on being able to pay back those those loans. Uh, but we've got a we've got, the nice part about where we find ourselves in Alberta is that we have more jobs available than people to fill them, and so if people can get to work quickly after after uh, graduating, that gives them the means to be able to start paying those loans back. So we want to make sure that the economy stays robust as well. But, you know, happy to look into it more. But that is, uh, those are the couple of measures that we take, understanding that, that it is pretty tough when you get right out of school. Okay, one more question from the Ched text line. How are electric cars paying uh, road tax if gasoline tax is for roads? That's a very good question. I believe that the state of Michigan just implemented some kind of a tax on electric vehicles addressing that very issue. Well, I have to tell you, if we're going to move to a world that Stephen Gibeau has envisioned for us, where there are no gas-powered vehicles on the road in 2035, we need a, pay, a way to pay for our roads. And so uh, we only have... like the. If I can just talk about the absurdity of what the federal government has proposed, the entire amount of all electric vehicles that have ever been sold in Alberta comes to a sum total of less than 10,000 cars. And by 2026, two years from now, he's expecting that Albertans are going to be buying 40,000 cars a year that are electric vehicles. We have, because we, we buy 200,000 cars per year. So I can tell you, we are on a collision course two years from now to car rationing because I've talked to the manufacturers and they've said the only way that they can achieve that 20% target is by reducing the amount of gas-powered vehicles that they sell into our market. So if we only buy, and this is stretching it, 2,000 electric vehicles, it means only 8,000 gas-powered vehicles are going to be available as starting as soon as 2026. So if you need a car, you better go out and buy one now because we're going to be entering a world of rationing in 2026 if Gibo gets his way. But I would say the longer-term trend... I, I see us going there. I, I'm more enthusiastic about hydrogen-powered vehicles, frankly. It's why we've invested in Air Products, which is a net-zero hydrogen facility. They'll be rolling out uh, fueling stations. I understand there's four, uh, there's three potentially more coming. We've got one already. We've got hydrogen buses that we've been uh, supporting as a pilot project in Edmonton and Strathcona County. We're, we're working to develop a dual-fuel vehicle for long-haul trucks with biodiesel as well as hydrogen. So we're at the early stages of this transition. And by 2050... 
I have no doubt that the majority of the vehicles, if not all of them on the road, are going to be zero emissions, but it's not going to be by 2026. In any case, if that's the reality we're preparing for, then we have to have a transition where those who are, pay, who are buying zero emission vehicles pay their fair share. And when it comes to biofuels, Richard Branson, I believe, just flew a complete biofuel operated jetliner. Uh, across the Atlantic. Oh, there's going to be more of that. Absolutely. Is it matter? I, I mean, I don't oppose moving in this direction. I think it's fantastic. But it's the time frame that we move in that direction. I think we can get there by 2050, not by, by early. But in any case, to answer the caller's question, yes, we have to start looking as we have more zero emission vehicle vehicles coming on the road, not paying their fair share of fuel tax. How do we make sure that we compensate for the the wear and tear that happens on the road? And I've, I've asked my, my minister, Dale Nally, to look into that. He's responsible for registries, and he'll come back with a couple of records recommendations on how we do that especially when those electric vehicles are proportionately heavier they are heavier and cause more road damage so i can tell you i mean in some jurisdictions they they charge a higher registration fee mm. right so maybe that's how you do it that you you get an assessment of how um, many kilometers have been driven by the electric vehicle in a year and then there's a sliding scale for what their registration fee would be there's there's ways that you can do this and so i, I just want people to be prepared that um as we're switching to to uh, zero emissions vehicles they're, they're going to have to pay their share too Okay, uh, Don has just uh, phoned in. We're going to skip ahead. Don, just a new caller. Uh, sorry for those folks who've been hanging on, uh, but Don has that zero admission question. Call in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Don. Uh, Don, you're on with Premier Smith. Go ahead. We lost Don. The, Don, are you there? Oh, there he is. Yeah. Okay. Oh, now I hear it. I heard the little sound kick in. Um, okay, so we're after zero emissions. The, the first Model T's off the line, actually the very first ones run on turpentine, but the next ones run on alcohol, which is zero emissions. You don't even have to change your oil, and your engine never breaks down because there's no, there's no carbon particles uh, flying around inside. And all the new vehicles that say flex fuel on it, they can run on 100% alcohol. Now, this project has already been opened in the States. Like, there's gas stations in the States. You can get 100% ethanol. A regular vehicle can go up to 50 55% uh, ethanol. But... My question is, is, there was a project on the board way back in the Klein days, and I don't know what happened to it. It just disappeared. Is there any way that we could uh, change the, um, the rules and regulations regarding um, ethanol and get it so uh, private people like farmers could start making it? Because it's actually mm -hmm. a benefit because it takes half the amount of, um, of uh, wheat to produce a pound of beef if you've uh, taken the alcohol out of it. Uh, Don, thanks. You always have such great information when you call in. Thank you for that. I would say the answer is yes. I mean, we're looking at ways to make it as easy as possible for for as as much choice as possible to thrive in the market. And if that is um, an, an avenue that we can get more biofuels on the market, then then we want to do that. So. I would tell you that there are a lot of uh, large operators that are looking at being able to use agriculture waste or uh, forestry pro product waste to do exactly what you're describing. And I think what you're telling me is try to create a almost like a, a, a micro industry that allows for farmers to do that themselves. That's a, I think it's a, a brilliant idea. So let me let me make sure that my my energy minister knows about that so that we can we can enable it because if that's a if that's going to be an easy solution, then we should allow people to 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 pursue it all right text in on the ched line uh please why doesn't the government do what nova scotia did if seniors there pay 50 percent of their income on rent 
they get subsidies. The rental assistance program here presently lets you qualify and then sit on a wait list forever just for rental assistance to stay in your own place. I know that my uh, Seniors Community and Social Services Minister Jason Nixon has increased the rental subsidy to allow it to qualify for 1,500 more people. If there's more that we need to do, then uh, th- then we'll do that because we want to make sure that, that we're building more rental multifamily accommodation. We don't want to interfere with what's happening in the market. We've seen already housing starts have gone up 29%. We're working with the municipalities to remove the barriers so that they can get faster approval so the private sector can solve this problem. We've got a an interim problem that we're seeing price spikes. And the best way to deal with that is to help uh, support the most vulnerable. So I'll, uh, I'll ask my minister to take a look at the Nova Scotia model and see if there's uh, some, some way that uh, we can offer more support through our rental assistance. Thanks for the suggestion. Premier Smith, uh, this question uh, for me speaks to a number of issues, health care, the economy and crime. Um, the prevalence of so-called homeless encampments. Uh, we're not at the point of tent cities like they have in Los Angeles or the large encampments in places like Portland, Oregon or San Francisco, but homelessness has, has got worse, not better, despite efforts from all three levels of government. Three people recently died in a shed in Calgary from a fire they'd started to keep warm. Earlier this year, there was a grass fire that began in an encampment uh, east of Centre Street uh, in the trees along Memorial Drive. Thousands of encampments have sprung up in Edmonton where police have noted increased violence and drug use. What's the solution? I mean, it's not an easy one. Where, where do you see things? I, I would say that the, the courts, I think, came up with a very reasonable decision last week. There was a dispute because the Edmonton Police Service wanted to go in and remove, I think, 155 uh, tens. Yeah. And an, an advocacy group stopped them, got an injunction. But the, the court rendered a decision that was... If shelter space is available, then the EPS can proceed with removing those. So it's incumbent upon us to work with the Edmonton Police Service to ensure that there are spaces available. And there are. We have almost uh, 1,400 shelter spaces in Edmonton. About 1,200 of them are full. And so that means that they can clear and offer space to, to 200 people. And we're going to keep on increasing that. We're going up to 1,700 in the new year. And so by getting somebody into a safe environment where they can get access to services, if they've got addiction or mental health treatment that they need, then we can start diverting them into those programs as well. And that's going to be the long-term solution. But I think as a society, we, we have to acknowledge that, that, that one of the things that is now occurring is that these encampments are being run by gangs. And you should, if you look at the story that happened a couple of days ago, one of the clearances that the Edmonton Police Service did resulted in firearms and $73,000 worth of drugs being um, obtained from one of those tents. Um, we've been told that uh, the gangs are charging protection money for people to set up a, a, a tent in, in one of the encampments. And if they don't pay, then they light, them up, then they light their tent on fire. Like, we, we can't tolerate this. The, the, this is criminal activity. And we have to know that there are two types of folks who are, who are on the street. There are those who are vulnerable, who need our help and support. And there are those who are victimizing them and committing crimes against them. So we've got to take a dual prong approach. And we're prepared to do a whole lot more. We just need some clarity from the courts about what it is that, that uh, we can do to, to make sure that we're balancing the, the rights. But I think they've given a pretty good action. And you'll see, you'll see more on this in the new year because it is not good for folks to be living that way in a, in a chronic way with no pathway out. We've got to give people a pathway to get back to independent living. It also speaks to the shortage of affordable housing. Uh, and 
there's no easy solution to that one. We're having, you mentioned it yourself on this show, we've got uh, not enough people to fill the jobs that are available, but there are still people moving into the province to get those jobs, but they don't have, there's not enough inventory, there's not enough uh, places for them to live. And that's driving up the price of housing, making it less affordable for those who are, uh, who can uh, least afford it. You know, one of the things I would say is, yes, we're seeing, especially in our mid-sized cities, an increase in rents, but we still have a, a lot of places in the province where we, we do have a better affordability story than anywhere else because we've got 355 municipalities. Many of them are within a, a short driving distance of a, of a major centre, and that is something that we have an advantage of in Alberta over any of the other provinces. Most of the other provinces are centred around one big city, and that's why they're seeing the an even more acute problem than we are. We've, we're accustomed to lower rents, we're accustomed to lower housing prices, and we want to maintain that. That's why we've got to make sure that we're continuing to grow our number of rental suites as well as our number of, of a supported affordable housing as well as our number of homes. But I would say that what we're experiencing with um, those who are on the street is that they've got very acute needs that need to be dealt with first. If you take somebody who has a fentanyl addiction or a severe mental health issue and you don't address that underlying problem, you can't just put them in an apartment and expect them to know how to shop for food, how to cook their meals. Do they even own a fry pan? Like, there's some very basic functional skills that need to be taught. That's part of the reason why we have our recovery communities. We've got one in Red Deer. We've got one in Lethbridge. We're opening up 10 more where we can uh, get people clean from their addiction, reconnect them to their community, reconnect them with the with job prospects, and teach them those life skills again so that when they do leave recovery, they have a place to go to and they can be self-supporting. So there's a, a whole system of care that we're implementing, and, uh, and, and it requires all levels of government to work together on it. All right. Jim has uh, been on hold for uh, half the show. Jim, go ahead. You're on with Premier Smith. Voice from the past, Danielle. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's been a while, Jim. Nice yeah, it's to been talk a while. to you. It's been a while. Anyway, I'll get to my point because I want to get through some callers. So just a couple quick little points like that. First off, let's quit using the word immunization wrong. The COVID vi- the vaccine does not Im- make you immune to COVID. I don't even think the influenza-, influenza vaccine makes you immune to the flu. It just helps you better protect yourself, but you could still get it. I think the other thing, too, real quick, is... When you, uh, um, Quebec's asking for 35% of the transfer payments to fund their health care system. So, Danielle, we're missing the point here on the, on the, on the, on the Alberta pension plan. I'm for it. We, we, we've got to add a little bit of point to your stuff here. Even at $100 billion at 4 million people in a cash account at 5%, we would never run out of money. <laughs> okay, so we're, missing, we're, we're letting the, the opposition feed on that a little bit too much, and I think we're missing that point. Photo or photo radar. You know what the thing with? Thank you very much for photo radar, backing off on the fishing holes. Personally, I think speeding is speeding. If it's a fishing hole, maybe the maybe the the speed limit should be adjusted. But we've got to get some sort of handle on these guys that put the cover on the license plates. Impound the vehicles. They are everywhere. I I, I see them. It's got to be doing something for Calgary for parking. It's got to be doing. So I want to report somebody that's impaired driving. If you intentionally put a cover on your license plate that it can't be read, it's got to, that that's got to go higher. You've given us a, you've given us a break on photo radar. Now the, the the people that are avoiding that need to pay. 
Thanks for the, all of that, Jim. So I would say on the on the last point, uh, that's what Devin Driesen is going to take a look at. He's uh, Transportation Economic Corridors Minister, is that he has no tolerance for the, the fishing holes. We've told any uh, municipality that is putting out their photo radar that, that can't, the criteria has to be, is it a danger zone? Is there an evidence that there's collision or pedestrian impact um, or some other reason why you would have, it, have uh, the, the photo radar there? There has to be some justification. It can't just be a cash cow. And he had some pretty compelling evidence on that, which is why it is that the 22 on Anthony Handy have been taken off and eight on Deerfoot have been taken off and they're being redeployed. But we're not going to allow that any longer. And we've got a full year review with the cities to make sure that we come to an agreement on what fishing holes mean. And I think you've got a, a pretty good uh, solution there. So I'll, I'll, I'll mention that to the minister that we if we're if we're it's got to be fair, right? And if you're if you're going to be getting the break that we're going to reduce the amount of fishing hole tickets, then we have to make sure that uh, people are following the rules and their and their license plate can be read. Uh, you're, you're quite right about the Alberta pension plan. And look, I'm persuaded by the numbers because what I see is that every single year, Alberta taxpayers are paying more into the program than our seniors are getting back in benefits. I think the most recent year it was $3 billion more. Our seniors get $6 billion in benefits. We pay $9 billion in revenue. Year after year, it has been the same story. We always overpay. The money gets invested. There's no say that we have over how it gets invested. And then we just keep on being asked to pay. And I I think you're quite right that uh, even if it was a lower amount of money that uh, the transfer was, and we'll see what the actuary comes up with, I think that there is still... Uh, going to be a benefit for Albertans to, to be able to have lower ben- lower um, contributions, higher benefits, uh, as, as well as, uh, as as having the transfer of those assets. So we have to go through and do our due diligence. I wanted people to get the conversation started. The conversation started, that's for sure, but people want more information. They want to know what that asset transfer would be, what it means to the premiums, what it means to their benefits. We'll have that information, and then I'll, I'll get, get a gauge of whether Albertans want to go to a vote on it, but it will ultimately be decided by Albertans in a referendum. All right, we're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment of the year on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. Your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. If you've got a specific question you'd like answered, the numbers to phone or text are 403-974-8255 in Calgary, 780-496-0063 in Edmonton. A lot of calls, way more texts than we're ever going to get around to answering. I'm trying to get to them. Uh, We're going to start off with a phone call question from Doug. Uh, This is the cost of the recent COP28. 28 trip. Go ahead, Doug. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Yeah, Danielle, I keep hearing you saying you're standing up for Albertans, but when will you actually start helping Albertans? We've got the highest utility costs in the country. Uh, rents are climbing. Insurance costs are through the roof. Groceries are outrageous. Our medical system is crumbling. Deaths from opioid overdoses and suicides and homelessness are soaring. I mean, there are 800,000 Albertans without a family doctor. I know I'm one of them. I haven't had a family doctor for four years. So when will you stop wasting taxpayers' money and spending like a drunken sailor and start helping Albertans? So can you tell me, just for an example, that cost to Dubai, the vacation you had for the last two weeks in the sun and the sand 
What did that cost your Alberta taxpayers? What did that trip cost for you and your entourage over there? Can you can you just give me an approximate dollar figure on that? Yeah, well, and don't you think it could have been used for better? Thank you. Well, yeah, those all of those uh, costs will be will be coming out, and I can tell you every dollar is worth it to defend Alberta. There is zero chance. People need to understand this. Zero chance the Alberta story is going to be told by Justin Trudeau or Stephen Gibo. In fact, they're actively working against our interests, and they want to shut in our fossil fuel industry. If we hadn't been there, I can tell you, with all of the other oil-producing countries, they would have come up with a, a much harsher time frame for a total and complete phase-out of fossil fuels. And guess what? I think what? they said it was 2050. Was I? Am I correct on 20, that? One? Well, because look, you've got uh, they want a total phase-out of fossil fuels. We're talking about transitioning. One of the things that we did get into the agreement, natural gas is a transition fuel. Carbon capture utilization and storage helps with the transition. Those are going to be essential for Alberta. And if we, and and to the point, if they if we if Ottawa succeeded in shutting down our industry, that would be $20 billion we wouldn't have available to fund all the things that, that the last caller says he cares about. Quite right. I inherited a lot of problems when I came into office. I've only been here 13 months. I didn't create these problems. I'm just trying to solve them. Utility costs, we um, will see them come down below 10 cents a kilowatt hour next year so mission accomplished there with uh, with rents we have uh, more work being done by both my Jason Nixon and Rick McIver to work with the municipalities to clear away the months and sometimes years it takes to get approvals for new builds yeah, that's one of tape. the things like there's a lot of work that needs to be done at the municipal level and we'll work, we'll work with them on that with insurance we Continue to keep a cap so that good drivers do not see a rate above the uh, rate, the uh, increase in inflation. There'll be more work to do there. On on healthcare, we just announced another $200 million going directly to doctors, and we've, we're going to be developing uh, a model to pay nurse practitioners, which the docs say are going to be transformational. Opioids, we are the only place in the world um, doing the Alberta model. This is it's getting renowned for that we take a whole approach of recovery oriented system of care so that we are going to ensure that we get people's lives back. We've got more work to do there, uh, but we are, are are well on our way. And then on on groceries, I have to say, like uh, this is this is something that the federal government is driving up the cost of. They're driving up the cost because they refuse to give a reprieve on the carbon tax. The carbon tax goes into our home heating, goes into electricity, it goes into gasoline and diesel. It's driving up the cost of everything, um, including when you think about groceries, it is a very transportation-heavy industry because they have to bring in product from all over the world. And when you have uh, the federal government charging massive car carbon taxes every step of the way, that's what's driving up prices. So I would hope that um, that uh, the NDP would join with us in asking for a reprieve on the carbon tax. They didn't. And so that's part of the reason why we had to take measures to, to include, to, um, to help uh, address some of the affordability. So I have a difference of opinion than that last caller. We're making great progress and we're going to make more. All right. Uh, John has texted in, said, please ask the Premier what she has done to get Calgary's mayor's knickers in a knot. It has something to do with corporation status. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I do know that what we have done is that we have a um, municipal government act and we'd given a bit of a carve out to the city of Edmonton and the city of Calgary so that they could develop some of their own laws. And one of the things that we've observed is that the we have to make sure that we do not have inconsistent building codes in the province. Let me tell you what the next shoe to drop is. 
the next two, if, if, if you didn't think that it was bad enough that Stephen Guibault wants us all to be driving electric cars, and we're going to start seeing rationing of, 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 of gas-powered vehicles in the next couple of years. The next step is net zero houses. And what I have seen in other jurisdictions is that they're refusing to extend natural gas lines to new communities. It just happened in British Columbia. Kelowna says that they're going to have to start rationing the amount of gas because they need new gas lines. And their, their utilities commission said, no, we're not going to allow you to do that. Uh, the UK has said no new hookups of natural gas in, in uh, their homes. We've got a movement in the States in some of the communities where they're banning gas appliances. That is not the approach we're taking in Alberta. We are looking at natural gas as a transition fuel. We are looking at ways to be able to reduce emissions. Every single person in this province deserves to have reliable electricity, reliable gas, so that they can have uh, reliable home heating and power. And so what I'm worried about is that the federal government has been trying to do a workaround on our relationship with the municipalities and making grants contingent upon achieving their agenda. And if their agenda is a complete shut-in of natural gas, we're not going to allow that to happen. So our building codes are have been imp, uh, have been implemented in Alberta. They have to be consistent province-wide. They can't have a difference between Calgary and Edmonton. So that's one of the reasons. The second reason is that we started hearing that the cities are charging inappropriate development fees for things that go well beyond the, uh, the the cost that we've seen in the past. Development levies are supposed to be put in place so that if you build a new community, the developer pays for all of the infrastructure in that community and a portion of the cost to connect to the existing services. Well, they've started to charge developers to build fire halls and now rolling stock. I have to tell you, like it is not the job of a developer to buy fire trucks. That is the job of the municipality to do that. So unfortunately, Fortunately, they started going a little bit too far, and now we're going to have to rein them in. We don't love doing that, but we, we would ask that all levels of government be responsible in, in how, they're, how they're assessing this, because that drives up the cost of housing. You can't complain about how much new houses cost to build and then be putting all of these hidden fees into the cost of a new home. Gotcha. All right. Final question. we got about 30 seconds. Performance reviews. I never liked getting them when I was an employee. Now that I'm self-employed, I still don't like them. Got to look in the mirror and there's always room for improvement. So as the year draws to a close, how would you rate your performance and that of your government? Well, let me put it on the, the, the key priorities that we had. Standing up to Ottawa, full marks. I, uh, we know that we have a, a big fight to do. We had two major successes this year, pushing them back on the Impact Assessment Act getting the court to declare that plastics are not toxic and the federal government also overreached on that. We, we, we They keep on taking us to court, making us fight to get our, our rights back, but I can tell you we've got probably eight legal actions we're taking against them and we're going to fight them every step in the way. Jobs economy, I'd also say full marks. We are ticking on all cylinders in a way we never had before. People are coming here. They're excited about being here. We've got major investments that have been announced. Most recent one just a couple of weeks ago, Dow Chemicals, zero emissions, petrochemical plant. We're making green plastics and I think that that is really exciting a new industry being created out of an old one so and we're, we're leading the world on that so I think we should be excited about that affordability I'd, I'd probably give us, uh, you know, somewhere in the 75% range. We, we we came through with affordability payments and a reprieve on the fuel tax at exactly the moment it was needed because at the beginning of the of the year, it was uh, th- those were causing real hardship for folks. I know we have to do more on uh, rental support. I know we have to do more on insurance, and uh, we're, we're bringing those the the uh, electricity costs down next year. So I'll, I'll uh, that that's a carryover. All right. Uh, on healthcare, I'd wish we'd made more progress than we had, but it's part of the reason why you know. 
when uh, management isn't performing, you hire new management. So we've got new management at Alberta Health Services, and we have an objective. Everyone needs a family doctor. We need to eliminate surgical wait times. We have to have an efficient way of getting people through through hospital, and we've got to make sure that we build out our mental health and addiction so that everybody has a pathway to get back um, on their feet. And then public safety. We've, um, we've again, started the work on this. We'll see more progress next year, but uh, it takes a little bit of time to get the policing resources in place. We're shoring up our sheriffs so that they can do more policing functions. We're giving more money and support to Edmonton and Calgary, and we're, we're building out our system to be able to, to have a recovery-oriented system of care. So um, we're, we're, we're heading in the right direction on all okay. of those. More work to do in the new year. Premier Smith, thanks for joining us today. All the best to the holidays to you. Thank you. Premier Danielle Smith will be back for Your Province, Your Premier on Saturday, January 6th. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.